Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're here. We're doing it. Triple Threat Theater, episode 68, Mainstream Smut. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Probably one of my favorite episode titles yet. Uh, yes. Well well done on your part. It's actually very fitting because, well, let's just come out and say, got 1994's Color of Night. Mm-hmm. 1995's Showgirls. Yeah. And 1996's Striptease. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mid to mid nineties. Clearly, they were pushing the mainstream spot. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was. Um. It was definitely a time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, you know these all for the most part fall into that erotic thriller category. I mean, Showgirls isn't so much a thriller, but I feel like you know Showgirls directed by Paul Verhoeven. He also did Basic Instinct, which was an erotic thriller and was huge in the nineties. I probably kicked it off. That was like 92 or something, I think. I mean, that was a big example, yeah. But not super long before that, there was Fatal Attraction. I think that was like late 80s that was, you know, another big one. Mm -hmm. And it kind of became a trend throughout the end of the 90s up until even stuff like Wild Things. Right. Yeah, that was probably like the end of it. Yeah, because that was like late 90s. But, um, you know, there's movies like Jade and Sliver and... A whole bunch of these kind of films, but uh, yeah, I mean, it should come as no surprise that I'm the one who came up with this theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like showgirls and striptease are easy ones, and uh, probably could have gone with just about anything else that I just mentioned there, but Color of Night is one that I knew less about. Uh, that's the one of the three that I had never seen before, but uh, not super long ago, acquired a copy on Blu-ray, uh, mm-hmm. stars Bruce Willis, and wanted to check out, so... Potentially, that's why I threw in two tried and true examples, if not classics, of the genre. And <laughs> mm-hmm. One worth looking into. So, it's fair. Uh, had you seen any of these before? Uh, never seen any of them. Um, You're of too co- innocent to have uh, watched these in your past. Never, never came up. You know, it's like they were very showgirls and striptease were like very popular at the time. I can remember them being like. Like a big deal. Like, yeah, popular may not be the right word, but definitely infamous or, uh, you know, much yeah, talked about. <laughs> yeah, much talked about. Yeah. Yeah, if popular would definitely make people think of a quality level, but. Um, <laughs> or at least a financial gain. <laughs> much, much talked about. Because, like, Jesse Spano's and Showgirls and, like, Demi Moore was always a big deal. And then I can just remember these being, I don't know if it's trailers or commercials or whatever, but it just seemed like everybody knew about these movies. Um, yeah. I feel like uh, Striptease with Demi Moore, and you know, we'll talk more about some of the ins and outs and behind the scenes of that movie when we get to it, but that, along with stuff like uh, Boogie Nights, kind of in the same time frame, mm-hmm. were like movies that it was like, ooh, kind of risque, and like nobody wanted to admit to being excited about them or seeing them, but like everybody had to see them kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and what was... Um... 
Boogie Nights is probably like 97 or something. Yeah, I was going to say maybe 98, something like that. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure I saw that one in the theater. So it's just, uh, mm. yes, I've seen that one. Color of Night, um, I wasn't entirely sure. Now, I was always, for whatever reason, knew that there was some, like, some movie that had, like, full frontal Bruce Willis in it. And in my in my head, I kept thinking it was striking distance for whatever reason. Another movie I I have not seen, but just That'd kind be a of weird choice. Wasn't sure if it was that or when it came up to this, I was like, "Oh, Color of Night." I never would have even guessed that was a name of a movie or a Bruce Willis movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think just one of those kind of things. Like depending on like what level of like you know of movies, especially in the nineties, like that was a thing that was talked about too. So yeah, Color of Night. Like I said, never seen it. It's one of those ones. Um... It it was put out on Blu-ray sometime recently-ish by Kino Lorber, and uh, so I just they have a couple sales a year, and I it was one of the movies on sale, and I was like, oh, Bruce Willis movie I haven't seen, mm-hmm. I don't I don't mind uh, sexy smutty stuff, so I just picked it up blind by apropos of nothing. And the other just, two that you had seen, did you catch these when they came out, like when so, you were a youngin? Caveat to having seen them, uh, striptease. I have memories of seeing it, but I'm not 100% sure I had ever actually seen it, like, beginning to end before. Mm-hmm. I definitely seen parts of it. It didn't, when I watched it, like, there were images that rang a bell, but tonally it was very different from what I had in my mind as, like, what it was when I watched it last. So I'm going to say, like, 50-50 chance I've actually seen that entire movie before. Fair. Showgirls I didn't see when it came out. Um you know, I knew it was kind of infamous. Uh, back when I first saw it, I might have been able to tell you who Paul Verhoeven was, but uh, I, I don't think I would have known that he directed it. Mm-hmm. But basically, my uh, when I graduated from high school, I don't know if this is everywhere, if it's just like a thing around here, because uh, I live, you know, a couple hours away from Ocean City, Maryland. But like, when where you grew up and uh, like when you when you graduated high school was there the idea of the senior trip at all um the idea basically being that like like right after you graduate or like right around the time you graduate there was like a week where everybody would go to like the beach and it was like party week kind of thing i know that's a thing it was different like for us like me joel tony like we went to a trade school so it was like it was made up of like five or six surrounding towns Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a cohesive kind of unit like you other people's high schools. I know that was a thing. It wasn't so much for us. Um, mm-hmm. I did go on like a senior graduation trip, like with one of my buddies to Florida, but it wasn't like not yeah. the idea of a, yeah, the whole class is going to this one place. Yeah. I mean, that's closer to me. Like I, I was never the kind of person who was like, yeah, fucking party. Let's go get drunk at the beach kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember when I graduated, my, my sister is a couple years older than me. And like when she graduated, they threw her a party and like a bunch of her friends came or whatever. And I remember my parents asking me like, do you want us to have a graduation party for you? And I was like, nah, I don't really care about that stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> when I graduated, I wasn't planning on doing like the ocean city beach trip. Like I was talking about. But at the time, my sister was friends with a guy who had moved to Orlando, Florida, and was working at Universal Studios. And so it just kind of became a thing where my parents like, well, we'll take that money that we were going to spend on a party for you and we'll give it to you. And then 
uh, my sister and I drove down to Florida. It was like a 14 hour drive or something. Amazing. And her shitty Eagle Talon that I could barely fit in. <laughs> and, uh, we stayed with her friend there for like a week. Um, and you know, he got us into Universal Studios for free and it was like, you know, a couple years after they opened the Marvel Islands of Adventure. So I was in heaven mm-hmm. going on like the Spider-Man ride and everything. And God, like thinking back on it, I don't really remember what the hell all we did like for a week there. <laughs> but um, I remember there was like a pool at the complex that the guy lived at and went swimming. And my sister was really into tanning at the time. So like we would drive, she would go to the tanning salon and like right next door was a uh, uh, Borders bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I would just go over there and like look at books and like buy graphic novels and stuff. I remember while I was on that trip was the first time I ever read the authority, which is one of my favorite comic series. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is a long way around to get to the point that like, uh, you know, at night at this guy's house, (laughs) there wasn't a lot going on and I was sleeping on the sofa. So I would just like watch movies that he had on DVD, uh, like by myself in the middle of the night. (laughs) And um, among the movies that I watched... Very very Millsy of you. (laughs) Among the movies that I remember watching during that week were Jet Li's The One. Mm -hmm. I think it's the 13th floor, the one about the, like, virtual reality world that the people go into or something. I I haven't seen it since then, so I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. Um, Airplane, the one and only time I've ever watched that movie. Oh, I know you hated that one. Eh, it's just not my kind of comedy, generally. It's true. You don't like slapstick. Yeah, not not that kind of slapstick, for sure. Like, I'm down for some Three Stooges or whatever, but oh, that kind of, like, winking and nodding, self-referential, like, dumb jokes on purpose, like, it's mm-hmm. just not, not my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Showgirls is another one that I watched that that guy had on DVD. So that was the one and only time I had seen it before. But I, I knew that the movie had a reputation as, like, you know, it's terrible. It's one of the worst movies ever. And, you know... I could not have told, like, until this week when I watched it again, I couldn't have told you a whole lot about the movie because it had been Mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that was 2003, so it was just shy of 20 years ago that I watched it. Wild. But my recollection, like, if you'd asked, do you like the movie Showgirls, I would say yes. I don't think it's as bad as everyone says. And I bought it on Blu-ray at some point in the last couple of years, so. Yeah, you did. But, I mean, I buy everything, including Color of Night, which I'd never seen before, so take that (laughs) with a grain of salt. Right. Yeah, I would. I I call myself a showgirls fan leading up until now, and we'll see how I stand at this point. Mm-hmm. I was uh, Paul Verhoeven, complete surprise for me as director. Oh, really? No clue. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like this movie, and a lot of people don't like Hollow Man, which I think is crazy. But in my opinion, you know, he came to the United States, he made six movies, and then he left. <laughs> and I like all six of them: uh, RoboCop. Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, uh, Starship Troopers, and Hollow Man. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's a hell of a lineup. And even if you take out like Basic Instinct and Showgirls, that's four like back to back to back to back awesome science fiction movies to me. There's no denying that. I am also a fan of Hollow Man, as you know. So yeah, but um, I mean, so if you hadn't seen any of these before, uh, have you seen stuff like Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, other movies like I think, these? Or- um. Basic Instinct, I think I saw, like, probably back then, like, certainly when I shouldn't have been watching it, but I don't remember (laughs) a thing about it. I can remember kind of 
I guess it's kind of similar, but um, I've seen it a bunch of times when I was younger for some reason. Hand that rocks the cradle, mm, which is kind yeah. of in this certainly in this vein. What was that first one we just said? The one with Glenn Close. I have not seen Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. I've not seen that one. I mean, I mean, there's a ton of these things. They like, are. Uh, I've seen a bunch of them. I feel like Cruel Intentions, Wild Things, Teaching Mrs. Tingle. I mean, yeah, Cruel Intentions. I've seen Fear. That was a big one. Mm, it was like yeah. younger people. And that, I remember that being a big one. Um, the early '90s stuff. I mean, I've seen so many movies from back then too. Like, I think I really kind of feel like just like Showgirls and Striptease were kind of like later in the game and just were never, never. I was never like dying to watch them either. I mean, thankfully mm-hmm. we have a podcast where we force each other to watch movies so <laughs> yeah because it, it could have easily been like you know things i would have just skipped over just because i didn't feel like putting in the effort so mm-hmm. but now here we are yeah i mean i've seen a fair number of the stuff that we've mentioned and a few others uh i haven't seen everything but i have to be honest that you know uh all shame and judgment aside i like the erotic the erotic thriller genre Mm-hmm. In the same way that I enjoy, you know, shit like women in prison movies and other kinds of like black exploitation and stuff like, you know, they're the kind of things that aren't going to be for everybody. They're not exactly mainstream, but I think that's kind of yeah. what I like about them is that they're different and they do things that you wouldn't expect a typical movie to do. But the, mm-hmm. the fascinating thing about, um, you know, if you go back and you look, there's like a lot of women in prison movies or like black exploitation films during like the 70s or like leading into the 80s. And those were still always kind of like, you know, a few steps aside from the mainstream and Mm. the kind of movies that you would see in like, you know, theaters in, you know, Times Square back in the day before they like cleaned up New York City and turned it into like the Disneyfied version of the city that it is now. Like they were a niche cinema. But then it's like, even though it's like sexualized and bloody and violent uh, it's like people couldn't help themselves from being drawn to the erotic thriller mm-hmm. genre. And so it seeped into the mainstream and hit us hard in the 90s. And yeah. there's something that I think is fascinating about that, that you started to get movies like this with bigger budgets and like big name stars instead of guys oh, yeah. like Sid Haig and Pam Greer back in oh, the day. Totally. I mean, these were like so popular, like throughout the 90s. I'm yeah. trying to think of, there's like so many keep popping into my head that I know I've seen. There's one that's like... Uh, God, what's the one with Harrison Ford? Um, it's kind of like it might be a technically a horror movie too. Um, hmm. I mean, I know there's the one uh, was he Indecent Proposal was him, wasn't it? Is that what you're thinking? No, of? no, that is one I have seen. That's Woody Harrelson. No, I'm thinking of like something to do was Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, What Lies Beneath. Yeah, is that like more of a horror movie? That is that is a horror like a, it is a thriller. I would say it's more of a horror movie. I wouldn't call it an erotic thriller. Okay, I'm just trying to think of that. Um, no, Indecent Proposal. That's definitely one I've seen. That that one. Have you seen Indecent Proposal? That one I haven't seen. Oh no. man, was I was I wrong? Is that Harrison Ford or am I completely wrong? You're wrong. That's okay. um, <laughs> Robert Redford, Woody Harrelson, oh, okay. Demi Moore. I was mixing up Redford. Yeah, that's and a good Redford. one. So we might have to do mainstream smut too. The smutting. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure several of the movies that we've mentioned are already in other trios, uh, <laughs> right. potentially coming down the line at some point. So, but back to the main idea. Like, yeah, I think the erotic thrills were hot in the streets throughout the '90s. Which again, I mean, it's to each their own on whether you want to call showgirls an erotic thriller, but that's that's you know the basic oh, idea. Mainstream yeah. smut being like you know these movies where all of a sudden like tons of sex and nudity was just 
in the mainstream and they were like big name movies that either were making a lot of money or people were talking about them and mm-hmm. people wanted to see. So it was just an interesting turn, I feel, yeah. in mainstream cinema in the 90s. And You're not wrong. I don't so, know. I wonder what killed it. We'll have to do some more research. Uh, superhero movies? <laughs> I mean, fantasy maybe, trilogies yeah. I don't yeah. Know. yeah I wonder if like like was the, was there <laughs> the internet certain, probably more than anything uh, like was there a movie that did so poorly that killed it or was it just a changing of the tide you know uh yeah I don't know I haven't done that much research mm. but oh. could be yeah you have homework <laughs> just what I need <laughs> right, let's get into it all right uh movie number one from 1994 we have color of night there's something about me that I bet you find a little strange, right? What is that? Well, I haven't asked what you do. That's right. You showed remarkable restraint. Well, it's because I'd rather guess. You know, I actually get upset if someone tries to tell me before I can figure it out for myself, you know? But what if I'm ashamed of what I do? Why? Why would you be ashamed of being a shrink? told you I was a shrink. Well, are you? How did you know? <laughs> it's the way you look at me, you know? How do I look at you? You, you have this kindness in your eyes. <laughs> but I think that you're using it to keep me away. You know, you're, you're trying to play it safe. You're trying to see me as a case instead of as a female. So you have a tuning fork, too. I guess we have a lot in common. I seem to be playing the same game. Why do you say I'm playing a game? Because you're the fantasy girl, aren't you? Quicksilver, the face glimpsed across a crowded room. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I am. You'll be whatever they want you to be. No substance, no rules, light as air. So your feet never have to touch those burning hot coals the rest of us walk around on. Yeah. Again, I bought it on a whim because I saw it was Bruce Willis. Didn't really know a goddamn thing about it. So mm-hmm. uh, like right in the opening credits, uh, I was just like every name that popped up on screen. I was like, OK, I know Bruce Willis. But then it's like, oh, Brad Dourif is in this. Oh, fuck. Lance Henriksen's in this. Oh, shit. My boy, Kevin J. O'Connor <laughs> joining the repeat offenders list now because mm-hmm. he's in Deep Rising, The Mummy and this, all of oh. which we've talked about. <laughs> yep. He's in the gang. Yeah. I was just like, damn, this thing is stacked with like that guy actors. Yeah, totally. That I was excited about. Uh, can't leave Scott Bakula hanging. Scott either. Bakula, Quantum yeah. Leap. I, Quantum I, mean, Leap himself. I, be- I basically did the same thing where I was like, I did not know a single thing about this movie. I really didn't. Besides a aforementioned salacious part, but um, <laughs> I had no nothing going in. And then it was kind of same opening credits. I was just like, wow, like damn, like there's a, <laughs> there's plenty of people, even and plenty that like you don't even know their name, but it's plenty of those that guy actors. Mm-hmm. I did, I did, um, I messed myself up on this one, Mills. I gotta mm-hmm. be honest. I did, I did a thing I don't ever do, but I started looking into the movie as I was like starting to watch it. Uh oh. <laughs> I just fucking blew it, man. Cause I was like, who's in this movie? And I was just kind of, I think I was just on IMDb and I was like, not familiar with like the female leads at all. And then 
as I was like clicking and I looked uh, as Jane Marsh. Mm-hmm. It's a female lead. Yeah. I mean, just, just clicking into her IMDb page kind of uh, ruined the surprise of this movie for me. How? Okay. Well, let me, let's come back to that in just a second. For okay. people who don't know, because I have a feeling a lot of people don't. Of course. Basic premise of this movie is that Bruce Willis is a, now I always get these things mixed up. He's a psychiatrist. Like he even says in the movie, he goes through like all the different kind of titles and he's like, I don't have a medical degree, so I'm not this, I'm this. But what what I know of is that psychiatrists can, they can give out medication. So maybe therapists. he's not a psychiatrist. He's a psychoanalyst. Uh, okay. It could be that or a therapist. I don't know. Psychoanalyst. Maybe let's go with psychoanalyst. That sounds correct. <laughs> so yes. So that's what he is. Uh, and the movie opens and he's got a very troubled female patient who we see like contemplating suicide. And then during a session with him, she jumps out, like she crashes through the giant window in his office mm-hmm. and falls to her death, like 50 fucking stories or something. Yeah. And uh, so he's basically given up his practice and he's looking to get out of New York for a while. So he goes to Los Angeles to visit his fellow psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, uh, whatever, um, friend who's Scott Bakula. Mm-hmm. And Scott Bakula asks him to sit in on one of his sessions, and he's doing group sessions with uh, five people, including the aforementioned Brad Dura, Lance Henriksen, and Kevin J. O'Connor. Also, a woman named Leslie Ann Warren and one other character, uh, called, who the character is called Richie. And basically, Bruce Willis like sits in on this thing, and then like the next day he's talking to Scott Bakula and finds out that Scott has been getting these like kind of weird threatening phone calls and he thinks it might be one of his five patients from the group. Uh, long story short, Scott Bakula ends up dead and the completely unhinged detective played by Reuben Blades <laughs> uh, basically says to Bruce Willis, like, I want you to take over, you know, the sessions with this group and uh, see if you can figure out if one of them is the killer and who it is. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes the movie. And then, Bruce Willis, while he's out there, he's like, he continues to live in his dead friend's like fancy schmancy house with like all the security. And he's like driving his dead friend's car and he's taken over his business. It's kind of weird, but. Well, yeah, like just that he could step in and become everyone's new uh, psychiatrist or whatever was. uh, Yeah. Like the group all wants him to because they met him that one time or whatever. Right. you know, all that stuff, you know, it's convenient or whatever, but it gets the ball yeah. rolling on the story. You have, in short to, you have order, to do it to set up the rest of the movie. Yeah. In short order, Bruce Willis gets rear-ended by this pretty young woman, and they begin a relationship. It gets extra steamy, and then there's some more killings that happen. So that's the basic premise. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned that by looking at IMDb, you ruined the twist for yourself. True. How was it like right in the opening credits like how far into the movie were you when you once we got to <laughs> once we got to i i noticed during the credits all the names and i was like wow and then when we got to the when bruce goes to with scott bacula to the first meeting and they start showing everyone and i was thinking i was like oh what's that guy's name from What's Millsy's boy's name? So that's what kind of what started me looking up was Kevin O'Connor, Brad Dourif. I was just looking. (laughs) I was just looking because I was like, "Ah, some of these people I know. I mean, Lance Henderson, of course, I know. And I was like, damn. And I remember even thinking, Sandra, I was like, who is that lady? And then, of course, 
I then at, I think at that point I might have just paused it and I was looking at the IMDb and I was like, who is, you know, Jane March? I don't know her either. And if you click on IMDb, I think it's the second photo shows her as Richie. Yep. So you didn't even really have a chance to solve the, Not the riddle even. for yourself before you spoil it for yourself. I, that was going to be my question because the very first scene with the group, you see everybody and Richie obviously looks unusual yes and then in short order one of the other characters i think it was brad duraf mentions that richie struggles with like sexual identity or something Mm -hmm. so i was thinking okay is this like a woman dressed as a man vice versa is it some sort of transgender situation i don't know but then you know a couple more scenes happen scott bacula dies uh, and then Bruce Willis, within the first act of the movie, gets rear-ended by this woman. He walks back to the car. The second you see her face, I was like, oh, that's Richie. Totally. I The second I saw, uh, what's her name? Jane March. Yeah. Like, actually Jane March. I was like, oh, that's Richie. Now, I hadn't 100% figured out where all that was going to lead, but like I immediately knew, okay, this is a woman dressed as a man pretending mm-hmm. to be someone else kind of situation. And I was pissed because that I blew it for myself because I was like, I'm sure I would have noticed. Cause when you first see Richie, just, Richie just does not look right. So I think I would have been the same thing. I would have immediately known as soon because she's got like a distinctive look. She's not like a plain Jane kind of look actress. Like it's something mm-hmm. in her face. Like you could, it's like plain as day. So I was like, I was just like kicking myself. Cause I was like, damn, it's like, if I hadn't ruined this, like at what point would I have caught on, you know, I <laughs> would have been the same thing, but. Yeah. It did it did just change the experience for me. And I was like I was like, man, I broke my own my only like completely loose cardinal rule I have with triple threat <laughs> when I don't know a single thing about something, I always wait. But Yeah. This one changed it. I mean, I'm assuming that like if you looked at a cast list of the movie, it would say like uh Bonnie slash Rose slash Richie or something now it's as just her Rose. character. Oh mm-hmm. really? Yeah. It's just like her it's like a, a more recent in IMDb anyway, it's just like a more recent uh, picture of her. So it's like I had nothing to go on. Mm-hmm. And I really was just like, oh, I never, who's this lady? I never even heard of her. And that's when yep. it's like literally the second picture is her as Richie. I mean, as it is, like, it's not as simple as just like, oh, that's a woman dressed as a man and she's killing people. Like it gets right. much more convoluted than that even. Mm-hmm. And it gets into like multiple personalities and her well, yeah, then you weird see, fucked up brother. And- you see her as a third character with Sandra. And, and in my head, I'm like, so is everyone that watches this movie, like when it came out, everyone like, at what point do they know? Yeah. Like, if you're not completely savvy at this point, are you sure? Like, oh, wait, that's the same person. Because I honestly think that, I think it was Bonnie was the name of, the, so basically yeah. the, the character of Rose, played by Jane March, she's a woman who dresses up as a guy to go to the group who calls himself Richie. And then you eventually find out that every single other person, Bruce Willis, Brad Dourif, Lance Henriksen, they're all dating this young woman that they just met. Mm-hmm. And they're she's they're all dating this this same person, but none of them right. know it. Correct. And like when you see Sandra's friend, Bonnie, I honestly think it's less obvious that Bonnie and Rose are the same person than it is Richie just because 
Richie, again, there's just the, the first time you see him, it's like there's something off about this person. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's the hair, just the the look. Yeah, like I don't yeah. I actually not to say if J March has like a just normal character actor, but like not to me it wasn't not great casting because it's like kind of like pretty clear. But again, it's like my my um angle of it is ruined. So it's like it's easy for me to say it was like you know, easy to figure her out, but mm-hmm. it does feel that way. Yeah. Anytime I bring up something like this, I feel like I always say it. Like, I'm usually not the person to figure out the twists and things oh, in movies, totally. but it was obvious to me the second I saw We've Rose. either, it's either come up on the show plenty of times or just in conversation. But yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like never the one that's just like connecting all the dots during a movie. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this, same. I mean, certainly this gets to the end and it's actually her, Richie was her brother. And then they have another brother who's actually doing all the killing. Yeah, he's like psychotic and like kind of feels like he almost like broke her personality. And now she's got multiple personalities because of him. And he forces her to dress up as people and do these things or whatever. But they don't really don't do a great job of explaining. Not that I don't think he can, but to me, it's pretty weak when it comes down to it's like, you know, I think I'm thinking here like is so is Rose and her brother in cahoots to like was it scott bacula's fault that richie killed himself and like this is them getting revenge like that would make more sense to me i mean i got the impression you you eventually find out that uh when bruce willis goes to the home of richie's former doctor and he like yells at the guy's wife and Mm -hmm. she breaks down and tells him that her husband when he was richie's doctor he was molesting molesting him Right. And then that resulted in Richie's death. So it feels to me more like the older brother, who's the actual villain of the movie, just has a thing against like psychiatrists. Right. Uh, and like wants them dead. I- <laughs> yes, which it, that is what it is, but it's just not that strong. I mean, yeah. it totally like falls apart for me in the end because it's like, so, and then Rose isn't even cahoots. It's like he broke her down. And he's like forcing her to sleep with everybody, and I guess. But then, yeah. So I don't know if she's doing it of her own free will, or she does have multiple personalities. Or I mean, it feels like she does at the end when she's like literally slipping in and out of which oh, yeah. character she is. But then that's just like crazy to think the brother brought that up, you know, yeah. forced that on. That just doesn't make like just because they have a brother that killed himself that had mental health issues doesn't mean like he could break his sister now into yeah, having I, them do. Like, it's just like, honestly, I feel like it gets way too messy in the end. Like I, I think I would have liked it better if there was no other brother and it was like the sister getting revenge oh, for totally. her brother's oh, death. Without a doubt. And it was like, you know, it feels like it would be more of a typical erotic thriller thing where like she's the devious girl seducing people and murdering them like having this extra third party just to like even try and throw you off the scent even more Mm -hmm. just feels kind of unnecessary and bloated oh totally i agree completely i think it ruins it really and the whole ending where it turns into like this weird cat and mouse action scene like firing a nail Nail gun gun. at people and that's just like do we have to have some action at the end of this because it's so crazy (laughs) otherwise yeah, I really feel like it falls apart in the end. Like the first two acts, you know, it's visually pretty nice. And, uh, you know, I like the cast because there's so many like interesting character actors in it. Yeah. Even Sandra, who I wasn't super familiar with, she was in a movie called Cop with um, 
uh, why am I forgetting his name? James Woods that I watched not too long ago that I think Kino put out that as well. Mm-hmm. She's in one or two other things that I've seen. Um, and I liked her. I thought she was good. And, uh, yeah, it just, at the end when it becomes this weird action movie, I, I really didn't, yeah. didn't like it's that stuff at the, the end. Whole, like you said, the whole introduction of the, the brother who doesn't have a, doesn't have clear motive. And then, like, kills Scott Bakula with an Assassin's Creed knife in his wrist. <laughs> and, yeah. And just, you know, then Bruce Willis is in Scott Bakula's house. And for whatever reason, Rose puts out garden hose so it fills with water. It's just like, there's so much crazy shit <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Um, I found, which I maybe I don't, like, pick up on all the time. Made particular of note of, like, I hated the music in this movie. Hmm. I don't know if you picked up on it, but at times it felt like it was either circus music or opera music. I can't really say it stuck out to me. Oh, man. For me, big time. So it was just like kind of like always glaringly off. I feel like you just need a lot of saxophone in these kind of movies. Yeah, totally. And that's what maybe that's what it was missing. But yeah, it's like, and especially too, because I was like, yeah, I'd already ruined the twist for myself. So I was like, wait, how is this going to pan out? And just the way it does is such a letdown. Bloated, like you mentioned, I think is probably the yeah. best way to describe it. Like, And something else that like, I kind of think it's an interesting idea, but it's not used successfully at all, is the idea that when Bruce Willis experiences this traumatic event early in the movie when his patient jumps out the window, mm-hmm. he like looks out the window and sees all the blood around her on the ground, and then the blood turns gray. And then, like, it's a character trait through the rest of the movie that he claims that after this traumatic experience, he can't see the color red, mm-hmm. which it's weird. Yeah. I kind of like it if they had explored it more and it had done more for the movie, but it's really just there. You remember it a couple times, like, when Bruce discovers Kevin J. O'Connor's dead body, it's, like, dripping blood all over the floor. But the first time you see it, it looks like gray paint dripping mm-hmm. onto the floor. And right. that character was a painter. So you're like, oh, did the killer cover him in paint? Exactly. And then it, like, cuts to another angle and, no, it actually is blood. But, like, there's no purpose for it. Like, it would have been interesting if, like, the killer... I don't know, like there was something like they always wore red and he didn't know that the killer yeah. was because he didn't see the color red or something like there's no reason for it. There's no explanation for it. It just it's a part of the movie that feels completely useless. It felt like to me, it was like, is this like a weird and was this a book? And that was like one of the weird anecdotes from the book. And they had the, felt they had to have it in the movie because it just doesn't work that well in the movie. I, don't uh, know. I didn't read anything about it being based on a book, but I can see what you mean. Yeah, it just feels like... Like, if uh, they stylistically... Like, I was thinking about it as I'm watching the movie. Like, it's weird because you're not seeing the world through the eyes of Bruce Willis. So it's like, obviously, you're going to see red everywhere because you're not seeing it from his point of view. This would have been, like, nearly impossible (laughs) from a production standpoint. But if they had actually not had any of the color red in any of the scenes in the movie, Mm -hmm. that could have been really interesting. And then, like, at the end of the movie, when the whole thing is resolved and he's saved the girl. He can see red again. And they have that like bright, bright red light, like washing them in, in red light on top of that water tower. Mm-hmm. That could have been a cool moment when all of a sudden the whole movie, you haven't seen the color red. And then there it is like, but as it is, as it's done in the movie, there's only like three or four times they show the color red as a, as gray. And it, it doesn't work because it's so infrequent. You forget why it's happening. Yeah, pretty much. Especially came up during the, uh, like the scene you said with the painter that died. I was like, what is going on? And I, of course, I was like, oh, yes, the 
color red. Like, yeah, they just don't use it well Mm-mm. at all. Yeah, this movie's kind of messy. Not well, kind. This movie's messy. To that point, let's talk about the production a little bit. Um, so, for starters, six minutes of "quote unquote" intense sex scenes had to be removed from the film to avoid an NC seventeen rating. So that's one thing. But I mean, there's plenty of sex in the movie. I don't, I don't think you're missing a whole lot there. But um, so producer Andrew Vajna, who gave us uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Angel Heart, Deep Star 6, Jacob's Ladder, Judge Dredd, just to name the ones that we've talked about <laughs> on this show. Uh, he's produced a billion things. He So the director's name is Richard Rush. The producer, Andrew Vajna, did not like director Richard Rush's cut of the film. So he had it recut and tested both versions. Uh, Vajna decided to use his own cut, despite the fact that his actually performed worse than Richard Rush's uh, with the test audiences. And so when Richard when uh, Richard complained, he fired him. So the movie was already filmed and edited, and the producer fired the director. That's crazy. This escalated into a battle which ended suddenly when Richard Rush, the director, had a, uh, a near-fatal heart attack. Mm. And then several months later, Rush agreed to let Vajna's cut be released in theaters as long as his cut got released on video. And so that's how we ended up with the theatrical cut, which won the distinction, if you give a shit about these things, which I personally don't, but of earning it the Golden Raspberry Award for the worst picture of 1994. Uh, Sidebar, Razzies are the stupidest thing, so I don't care. Agreed. I think think the Resleys are extremely, extremely lame. Go ahead. So do I. But it's an undeniable thing in pop culture. But of course. Yeah, I I also think that they're the stupidest thing. I mean, I don't even like the fucking Oscars, so what would I give a shit about the Razzies for? (laughs) Right. So apparently after the movie came out and a bunch of critics trashed the movie, Richard Rush, the director, sent copies of his cut of the film, which was like twenty minutes longer, to some of those reviewers who trashed it. And according to him, they all unanimously came back and said his version was better and the movie wasn't as bad that way. I don't really know what all the changes were. I watched the theatrical cut because I wanted to watch the same version as you for the discussion. Mm -hmm. My Blu-ray does have the longer cut on it, and I'd kind of like to watch it at some point to see the differences. I mean, hell, it might even have the six minutes of intense sex back in it. And (laughs) like you mentioned... Apparently, this movie did originally have full frontal Bruce Willis nudity in it, which the version we watched did not. I mean, right. there's little glimpses of it, mm-hmm. but um, apparently, yeah, there's there's full Bruce in uh, in the extended version, right? If that interests you, and it was awarded best sex scene in film history by Maxim Magazine. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting distinctions all over for this. <laughs> Which pleased director Richard Rush, and he apparently displayed the award that they gave him in his bathroom. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good spot for it. But uh, despite the fact that the movie didn't do so hot in theaters, it was a budget of $40 million, It made 46.7 in the box office, so after like advertising and whatnot, I'm sure it lost money. And even after winning the Golden Raspberry for Worst Picture of 1994, it became one of the 20 most rented films in the U.S. home video market in 1995. Because sex sells. And maybe people would feel weird about going into the theater and watching a movie like this with a bunch of strangers, but in the privacy of their own homes, Mm -hmm. they're perfectly fine renting it from Blockbuster. (laughs) Very true. 
I will say that, uh, like I said, the last act kind of lost me and it got really fucking goofy towards the end. Oh, yeah. The first two acts, I think, are salvageable and there's some interesting stuff there. I think that the I think the idea of uh, this entire group of people who all know each other all unknowingly dating the same person is like I think that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily hold it against the movie that it was so obvious that Richie was not no who he was supposed to be right away. But no, because if you do it, you know, if you do it the right way, it's you know the impact of the characters learning it's all the same person is can be enough. Yeah, there's one specific movie that I'm thinking of where they do a similar trick to this, and I watched the entire film not knowing that a character of one sex was actually a character of another sex until it was revealed mm. at the end. I don't want to say what it is. It's a great movie because I don't want the like big aspect of it to be ruined for anybody, but it can be done better than this. I, okay. I, I mean, I can say that. And yeah, just the cast made it a lot of fun for me. Like if those were a bunch of random character actors, it still might've been good, but because I actively like Brad Dourif, Lance Henriksen, Kevin J. O'Connor and Bruce Willis, Mm-hmm. All those scenes of like all of them together having the uh, the sessions, I I found really yeah. entertaining. I mean, this is like ninety four. Like Bruce Willis is like you know top of the world. Yeah, you know, couple of diehards under his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is probably around the time, maybe a little before Twelve Monkeys and uh, Fifth Element. Yep. What was the same year as uh? What year was Pulp Fiction? Ninety four. Ninety four. So this yeah. was the year after. Oh, no, this was the same year as Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, 94. So, yeah, big, yeah, big. I I love Bruce Willis. I've said many times, so. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, besides the, what I found to be the awfully distracting music, again, (laughs) yeah, the the first two acts are setting up something good, but then, man, not even uh, sticking the landing, but blowing up the landing with dynamite is basically (laughs) how I felt this one. Shits the bed pretty well. Pretty well. Uh, one final tidbit about this movie. It was the final film directorial credit of Richard Rush. And it was the first writing credit for a film of writer Billy Ray. Oh, all right. Who went on to write a ton of shit, including Volcano, Hearts War, Shattered Glass, Suspect Zero, Flight Plan, Breach, State of Play, The Hunger Games, Captain Phillips, Overlord, Gemini Man, Terminator Dark Fate, Richard Jewell, and others. Damn. Yeah. A lot of work. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's one of those, you know, I, I don't mean this to be insulting, but he's one of those like Hollywood jobber guys who oh, yeah. just cranks out, you yeah. know, pretty big like, titles. Know, knows how to do a script. Yeah. So, and it all began with 1994's Color of Night. Wild. <clears throat> all right. Anything else before we move on to uh, film number two? I think we're ready. Huh. Will we ever be ready for <laughs> 1995's Showgirls? Okay, ladies, I'm Tony Moss. I produce this show. Some of you probably heard that I'm a prick. I am a prick. I got one interest here, and that's the show. I don't care whether you live or die. I want to see you dance, and I want to see you smile. I can't use you if you can't smile. I can't use you if you can't show. I can't use you if you can't sell. Let me take a look at you. Spread out. Spread out. Jesus Christ. Marty, take a look at these tits. What are these, watermelons? This is a stage, babe. It's not a patch. See ya. I've seen you before. Yes, Mr. Moss, I auditioned for you in January. 
you told me to get my nose fixed. Nose looks good. Thank you, Mr. Moss. Nice smile, too. Thank you, Mr. Moss. You know what, though? Your ears are sticking out. They are. Come back and see me when you get them fixed. See ya. Can you spell MGM backwards? I bet you can't. MGM. I'm impressed. Come back when you fuck some of this baby fat off. See ya. I hope you got some nice wigs, tennis ball. I do. What kind of classes have you had? Ice skating classes, Mr. Moss. Ballet classes, technique classes, stretch classes, jazz classes, jazz technique classes. This show is called Goddess. It ain't called classes. See ya. What kind of classes have you had? I haven't had classes. Then what are you doing here? I'm watching you be a prick. <sighs> we ain't seen nothing yet. Audiences, I don't think we're ready for this movie. No. This was... I was actually surprised this is NC-17. Well, I'm not surprised. Well, that's one of the most interesting things about this movie. Showgirls is the first, and to date only, NC-17 film ever given a wide release in mainstream theaters in the United States. That's wild. Yep. You know, I think everybody kind of knows what this movie is. Let me just go ahead and give you some uh, some details to start, though, related to what I just said about it being NC-17. <laughs> So, um, after the runaway success of Basic Instinct, which I want to say that movie made like 300 something million dollars in the box office in the early to mid nineties, Paul Verhoeven made a then unheard of deal (laughs) to be given complete creative freedom to produce a big budget NC-17 film. Like this was his goal. He Mm -hmm. wanted to do it to like, I guess after Basic Instinct proved that it could be done. Mm-hmm. So he made a deal with the studio because normally a studio will not release something wide if it's NC-17. But he made a deal, let like give me a budget, let me make an NC-17 film that's going to earn that rating and release it in theaters. The caveat was, and this honestly isn't that big of a caveat, the caveat was that he would have to forfeit 70% of his $6 million salary if the movie didn't turn a profit. Wow. He did end up having to forfeit that money <laughs> because the budget for this movie was uh, forty to forty-five million, and the box mm-hmm. office was thirty-seven point eight. Wow! Um, quickly, Basic Instinct budget yep. forty-nine million, box office three fifty-three. Yeah, it Damn. was a huge hit. Yeah, but yeah, so like he was banking on this, and I, you know, it could have worked, I guess. The thing is, even though the studio released it wide stream or yeah, uh, mainstream wide, there were still some theater chains that would not show it. Like, you know, the theater could offer it to anybody, but there are some chains or the studio could offer it to anybody, but the, some chains would not show it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't show in as many screens as it could have. And I mean, the movie got a lot of bad, a lot of bad buzz about like the acting and like just all around people weren't really into this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, something else interesting about this movie is, uh, so I think Joe Esterhouse also wrote um, Basic Instinct, if I'm not mistaken. So Paul Verhoeven didn't like Joe Esterhouse's initial script for this movie and had passed on the project because he was in the process of uh, getting a movie made called Crusade, which was going to star Arnold Schwarzenegger and be like this big kind of epic medieval action movie. But that project fell through when Carol Co. Pictures could not afford to finance both Crusade and Cutthroat <laughs> Island at the same time. <laughs> uh, and as a lot of people probably know, Cutthroat Island is one of the biggest box office bombs of all time. Mm-hmm. 
sunk, uh, sunk the whole company, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. So since $10 million had already been spent on Crusade uh, before they had to pull the plug on it, and uh, Joe Esterhouse already received $4 million for his script for Showgirls Jesus. because Basic Instinct had been such a huge hit. Verhoeven felt, quote unquote, morally obligated to do Showgirls as a personal favor to Mario Kassar to save Carol Coe from bankruptcy. <laughs> but the oh, box man. office failure of both this movie and Cutthroat Island fucking ruined Carol oh, Coe. Jeez. That's a hard so. hit. You're trying to bail out your friend and then you just put him in the sticks even worse yeah damn and uh joe Esterhouse was advanced two million dollars to write this script and paid an additional one point an additional 1.7 million when the studio chose to produce it uh between showgirls basic instinct which he was paid three million for after a bidding war and another erotic thriller called sliver that he wrote also starring sharon stone at the time Esterhouse was the highest paid screenwriter in hollywood jeez for writing you know, sexy thrillers. Pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as I alluded to before, Showgirls isn't exactly a thriller. I mean, it has some thrilling elements to it, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, it's like, you know. It's really a drama. Yeah, like young girl with big aspirations starts the movie by hitchhiking into Las Vegas, starts out low man on the totem pole, wants to be a dancer, Rises through the ranks. Uh, you learn about how corrupt show business is. Um, you know, the more she gets what she wants, the more terrible it is for her and everyone involved. And uh, by the end of the movie, it ends with her hitchhiking out of Las Vegas. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good, like, bookend idea. Mm -hmm. So I I'll just go ahead and say, like, I again, I didn't remember a lot about this movie from the first time I saw it almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. On a rewatch, I was, you know, I know that people criticize, like, uh, Elizabeth Berkeley's acting. She's not the best. I think she gets better as the movie goes on, because in the very beginning, I fucking hated her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think the story is interesting. You know, it's maybe kind of blunt and dumb at times, and I don't know how accurate or realistic it is. Not that I think Paul Verhoeven was that concerned about accurate or realistic, you know? He's the guy who gave us, like, RoboCop. <laughs> but, um... I still find this movie eminently enjoyable and uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just like, it's one thing that like, this is okay. I'll, I'll go ahead and say yet again, this movie won the golden raspberry for the worst picture of 1995. And uh, Paul Verhoeven won worst director of 1995. But you know, like this movie or not, I think the movie looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, it's maybe not to everybody's taste and like, you know, it's not the best movie ever made, but I can't believe this movie gets shit on as much as it does. Like I watch this movie and I enjoy it. I, you know, it's trashy, but as I said in the beginning, I, I like trashy <laughs> and I, I think it's an entertaining movie. Again, not the best thing in the world, but I'm curious where you fall having never seen it, you know, coming into the movie with potentially all the baggage of two mm -hmm. decades or more of, you know, people shitting all over it. Right. Um, I like the point you make of like the like Verhoeven and like the production value because like it looks like amazing between like if it's just sets or if they're using, you know, real locations or it's all in Vegas or what it is like it looks amazing. Like the production value is like totally there. 
I was like kind of blown away. It's pretty long too. It's like over two hours. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of different setups. There's a lot of different locations. Like I was like kind of blown away. All the exteriors were, uh, were Vegas and the very beginning in the casino when the guy like stiffs her and she mm-hmm. loses her bags, like that mm-hmm. scene where she's playing the slots is in the casino. All the other interiors are not in Vegas. They're on like a soundstage. Somewhere. Yeah. I mean, they look so even better because they look great. I mean, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like big stage work, of course, because it's showgirls and everything. Um, so I was like legitimately like throughout the thing, like kind of blown away. I was like, there's like that whole part where um, the showgirls have to like go up that crazy like flight of stairs, that like metal railing stair thing. Like, mm-hmm. That all I was like sure that was like in some casino like it looked, it looked like really <laughs> solid I was like was, like they didn't pull out any stops or they pulled out all the stops I think to um, make that one happen yeah I mean like you said it's a drama it's a forty million dollar budget I mean Elizabeth Berkeley I think only got paid a hundred thousand dollars to do the movie because she wasn't a name because all the names that they went after didn't want anything to do with it yeah so I mean all that budget went into production value and I think you can see it on screen personally yeah I definitely do I definitely agree um with that I guess it it would make sense that she only got a hundred grand because I think she is brutal to watch in this movie (laughs) yeah I think, like, it takes it down so bad for me because of her. Like, I really think, like, I don't know what people thought of this movie or was really just, like, clowning on it because the girl from Saved by the Bell was in Showgirls. But, like, from the get-go, it's kind of like you said, from the first scene, as soon as she does anything, it's just, like, honestly terrible, Milsey. I couldn't, I could not at any point get over her in this movie. I thought she was awful throughout. Not that she's not, like... Uh, attractive or anything or can't like imagine her as a showgirl but it's just like her acting and just like some of like the crazy she just faces she was making it's <laughs> a ridiculous scene in the pool with kyle mclaughlin i was like this is <laughs> bonkers i mean i lost track but there was a at a point of whatever in this two-hour runtime where i was like i was like is, is someone going to say something to her and she's going to get pissed and run away? And sure enough, it did. Like it happens like five or six times in this movie. <laughs> like whatever's yeah. happening in the plot, she like flips out and takes off and just like starts running away. And it's like, I was like, this happens throughout the entire movie with her. And she's just like a lunatic. Yeah. She's it, not a likable character. Well, no, which part of the point too is like, this is definitely a movie of like horrible people being horrible. Mm-hmm. Like there's, like uh, I, he's a that guy actor, but the one that wants to teach her how to dance. Yeah, uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn Plummer is his name. Yeah, he just he's a horrible bastard. I mean, I mean that's like, one of the things that I really like about the movie. That moment when you realize even he is a piece of shit. Yeah, like oh, yeah. and not even that moment where you see that he's like cheating on her or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, is he really because he said they have no ties? But then it's just like. His character gives you this feeling like she's going down the wrong path and he's trying to save her. But then at the end of the movie, when she's gotten the success and she goes to see his little show that he tried to put on Mm -hmm. and then everyone boos him, they are like they walk off the stage and then she goes over and talks to him. And he's like just his attitude of like, yeah, you know, sometimes shit just doesn't work out. Uh, We're going to I'm going to get married to this girl because I got her pregnant and I guess I'll work at my mom's grocery store. It's like even that like typical 
stereotypical point in a movie where you'd expect like, oh, this was the path that was like more mundane, but was the right way to go. Mm-hmm. It's not like no. there's like no winning yeah. <laughs> without like sacrificing totally. your humanity. And I thought that was like such a great scene personally, like because even having seen it before, I didn't remember that that was coming. Right. And it did just kind of feel hokey until you realize, oh, he's just a miserable piece of shit too. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. It totally is. Like, and I thought, like, I kind of had a feeling. I was like, Paul Verhoeven. I was like, is this like going to kind of ramp up to be like more intense? Especially like when her friend is raped and she goes to that like guy's house. Yeah. Uh, whatever his name is, and she like kind of sneaks her way in. That she's like a call girl. I was like, I was like, is this where this movie's like really going to ramp up? But no, it's like she pulls a knife on him, but then she just kind of kicks the shit out of him. And then mm-hmm. she goes to Gina Gershon. It was like ludicrous idea that she would be happy that she got pushed down a flight of stairs because <laughs> she wanted to take a break. And then it's like that it's towards the end. It's like really fell flat for me. No one it fell flat in the end for me. Mm-hmm. And then just her, just Jesse Spano, man. She just far better on Saved by the Bell. She just... <laughs> Uh, I think brutal in this to me. Yeah, I don't I don't hate her in this. She's obviously not great, but something about like the you know, it going right along with stuff like Starship Troopers and RoboCop, like the kind of heightened level of a lot of the stuff that Paul Verhoeven does. She's cranked up to 11 all the time, so it's like while she's not good, she kind of feels like she belongs. So like I get it. She's not great in the movie, but it doesn't like ruin anything for me personally. Yeah, it's, but, like, it's not even so much. I don't think it's the character. For me, it's just like her. Like that, it is. It comes down to the acting. I think, yeah. Well, me, like I say, I think I think she is cranked up to eleven the whole time, and uh, that doesn't lend itself to like a serious, relatable, dramatic performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like why you, something like you know Starship Troopers, everyone's cranked up to eleven, and it works. Right. But in this, I mean, some people are, but she's just like there, front and center all the time, just yeah. like she's like screaming always, her head off, right, and, th- throwing a fit, and just like yeah, just but. Like, ugh. I will say that uh, I do think that where the movie makes its biggest misstep for me plot wise is the whole rape revenge thing at the very end. It mm-hmm. like kind of comes out of nowhere and it feels like they were just looking for an excuse for her to have to run away again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because seemingly she got what she wanted, but it was just yeah, yeah, odd decisions all over. I mean, not that I was like expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't have, really have an expectation. I just thought when it got to that scene. And in my head is like, are they going? Is this going to have like a a Tarantino type ending where everything's going to get like out of control, crazy? And then, no, it doesn't. And then she just takes off again. So it's kind of, in the end, the movie to me is just like hor. It is horrible people being horrible. Yeah, yeah. That was the intentional long. Uh, Paul Verhoeven has said that uh, the only good character in the entire film is the roommate who gets raped that like literally everybody else is terrible and makes sense he Paul Verhoeven has said in that he regrets having the full-on rape scene because that was like the only likable character in the movie and he kind of punished her Mm -hmm. uh in a way that wasn't really deserved and I do feel, again, that like that whole bit at the end, it's only like the last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. I just feel like they could have gone a different direction with it. They like Instead of her, you know, going and beating the shit out of this famous guy and then being like, well, I, my career's ruined now. I have to leave. Like, 
Couldn't it have just been that somebody found out that she pushed Gina Gershon, so she was leaving for that reason or something? Like, Yeah, totally. That's totally better. Or they found out about something in her past, like she's wanted in another state, so like, well, they know now I have to leave or something. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, probably any choice could have been better, for sure. Because yeah. just, then just the whole Gina Gershon like, being okay with it was just, mm-hmm. too, that was just too much for me. <laughs> so, yeah, There's just no way. But I got the feeling as I was watching this, um, like this basic premise and this setting for a show or for a movie, I feel like could probably be a pretty popular series these days. Just like the behind oh, yeah. the scenes of Las Vegas and everybody being shitty people. Like it feels like this is tailor made to be a television oh, show yeah. now. No, yeah, 100%. Like I a Hulu completely. original or something. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So again, I'm glad, glad we have this show. Because I, I probably never would have watched that, and now I've seen it. And I can say, like, yep, uh, I, I have, in fact, seen the showgirls. <laughs> but I just, I do love that, you know, uh, again, Paul Verhoeven, he loves his violence. He loves shocking people. I think that it's usually very effective and well done. Like, just how over the top something like Starship Troopers or Robocop are. Mm-hmm. And I do love the fact that because this was an NC-17 movie and he knew that's what it was going to be from the beginning and he had like the full okay from the studio, I love that he doesn't pull any punches. Again, I, I don't feel like we needed the graphic rape scene at the end, but when it comes to like this is the behind the scenes of, you know, strippers and, uh, you know, Vegas dancers mm-hmm. in like the uh, in the back rooms and everything, I mean this movie has an unbelievable amount of nudity and you could have done it without all of that, but it being a Paul Verhoeven movie, there's something about me that appreciates the fact that he, he never shies away. There's never a part where like the characters aren't topless when they probably potentially would be, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me that the movie we get is a Paul Verhoeven movie. Like for those points you made, like that totally makes sense. Like he Mm -hmm. is not afraid. Yeah, right down to like, I mean, when she gives the completely nude lap dance to Kyle MacLachlan, uh, or even like the the pull sex scene, like there's a couple parts where it's like, I, I feel like we're on the verge of seeing yeah, yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And I was, I just can't, I can't get over it. He was like, he pushed for her as a leading actress. It was well. Just- he didn't really. Um, oh. So they pursued a lot of people, and all of them turned the movie down, uh, including Pamela Anderson, Drew Barrymore, Angelina Jolie, Jenny McCarthy, Denise Richards, and uh, Charlize Theron. Okay. Well, that makes more sense then. For the Gina Gershon role, uh, they went after Madonna, Sharon Stone, Sean Young, and Daryl Hannah. And basically all of those actresses just were like, I'm not going to do that amount of nudity. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much it was just like, she's the best we can get. Or if he actually saw something in her in the, uh, like the tests that they did or whatever. But she, from everything I read is not embarrassed about the amount of nudity she did was completely comfortable with it and was willing. So, I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with it. It also doesn't hurt that she is very easy on the eyes. So, considering how much nudity she had to do. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how much like dance stuff she has in her past or how much of that was just learned for the movie, but she, you know, she could do all the dancing stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty. It was a demanding role to say the least. Yeah. (laughs) A television version of this was created, believe it or not. 
How? In which they digitally added black bras and panties superimposed oh. over all of the nudity. Oh my God. And 45 minutes were cut from the film. <laughs> 45? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there are a few scenes where she just gets pissed off and runs away, so maybe they cut a few <laughs> of those. Yeah, I believe it was VH1 who commissioned the television version. Um, Jesus. And I think this number is supposed to be $2,500, not $250, because I did read elsewhere that uh, Elizabeth Berkeley wanted to charge $2,500 to do an interview for like a Blu-ray or a DVD and mm -hmm. the studio wouldn't pay it. But uh, when they did the dub to cover up the cursing, in uh, in the movie for the TV version, MGM refused to pay Elizabeth Berkeley two hundred and fifty dollars is what I read, but again I think it was twenty five hundred to redub her lines uh, in the version. Uh, they wouldn't pay her, so a noticeably different voice actress was used. That's so stupid. <laughs> the stuff. Can you imagine the fortune they paid to get cover up all those people? Yeah, and they wouldn't pay her two thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah. To uh, to come in and redub her lines, which she was apparently willing to do if they would have just paid her. I mean, that's not that much. <laughs> Allegedly, the only the set was very comfortable, and the only time the actresses complained was that they were uncomfortable was the scenes with the monkeys, because apparently the monkeys would just constantly stare at their bare breasts, oh, which made them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> monkeys, those little monkeys are psychopaths i'll rip your arm off so yeah i wouldn't like it either <laughs> i did know this existed but i didn't know the details behind it uh there is a sequel called showgirls 2 pennies from heaven of course it was released in 2011 and this is the craziest thing so um one of the actresses in the movie is named rena riffle she plays penny aka hope uh she's the one that glenn Plummer's character like cheats on her with and he's going to get married to because she's pregnant later on. Yes. She's like the new, new girl in right, town. Right. Yep. Uh, that actress, Rena Riffle, did a Kickstarter to do the sequel. And it was partially funded on Kickstarter. She wrote and directed it and stars in it. And the reason it's called Pennies from Heaven is because her character's name is Penny. And she, she replies, reprises her role along with some other people like Glenn Plummer the guy she gets married to in the film. Uh, and that's how Showgirls Two Pennies from Heaven came into existence. <laughs> Look at those Kickstarter dollars. Bills. Yeah, being put to good use. I mean, that's one way to go about it. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, this was also the following year after Color of Night, the Golden Raspberry winner for the uh, worst picture of 1995. Uh, it was also later voted by the Ra the Golden Raspberries as the worst motion picture of the 1990s, which I think is probably a little harsh. I mean, that's kind of foolish. Yeah, it's one of those things where, no. like, that's kind of the problem with the Oscars. It's kind of the problem with the Golden Raspberries. It's like, is Showgirls the worst movie made in the 1990s? No. But they want to pick not. something that's bad, but that people will give a shit about when they hear that it's mm -hmm. bad, because this was a big movie. Right. It was, like, in the news or whatever. Yeah, it's it's really, like, a bad movie that was also extremely popular. Yeah, so it just, I don't know, it feels kind of hollow and stupid that they do shit like that. Oh. Um, although... It, the Raz, the Razzies is hollow and stupid. Yeah, I mean, I'll come no, right 100%. out and say, I mean, there. Anyone that puts their effort into making those, deciding that, whatever. 
and putting on a fucking awards ceremony for it. Ugh, just give me a break. However, that being said, Paul, Her- Paul Verhoeven, like I mentioned earlier, was voted the worst director of the year as well. And uh, he was the first director ever to show up at the Golden Raspberry Ceremony <laughs> and accept his awards. So good on him for that, I guess. And that's like, that's like people, do you even know exactly what a director does, if that's what you're picking to? But again, it's like you said, yeah. it's picks the, you know, you pick the thing that'll get the most, the most play. Yeah, these days, the most clicks. But I mean, it's always been the same thing. What'll right. get the headlines or whatever. Yeah, totally. Uh, but similar to Color of Night, um, despite the fact that... Uh, Showgirls didn't perform super well in the box office, despite the fact that uh, everybody shit all over it. It generated more than $100 million in video rentals. Damn. Became one of MGM's top 20 all-time bestsellers on home video. And has been reevaluated by many as a cult classic and a guilty pleasure. So you'll hear people like Quentin Tarantino and whatnot, you know, singing the praises of this movie nowadays, which... Again, considering Tarantino and how into like exploitation film and stuff he is, I think that uh, you know it's not surprising that he's into something like this. But you know, I th- I think this deserves cult film status, and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say that I think people should reevaluate it and change their minds about it or anything. But I definitely, mm-hmm. in kind of the same way we were talking about what the Golden Raspberries does, I don't think that it deserves as much ire as people give it. You know, no, and like I feel like kind of like I said, I would. I think she like brings the movie down, but doesn't that def does not make the rest of it or the production value or anything low. I think it's just a problem with the uh, the main star for me. But yeah, to, just to say it's like the worst movie ever made or blah blah blah. Like I I can see this having. I'm fine with this. Anyone saying this has cult cult classic status makes sense. It's like a time capsule. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll you know always be like oh. I, Girl, that movie about strippers and showgirls, you know, the girl from Saved by the Bell was it. It was like, it'll always be a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, of the the six American films that I mentioned earlier that Paul Verhoeven did, it's probably my least favorite of the lot. But I I, I don't know. I, I still, as a fan, feel proud to say, like, yeah, it's one of the six. And I, I still think it fits in with his filmography mm-hmm. and uh like I said, I bought the Blu-ray knowing full well what this one was, so uh, yeah, you know. fair. I remain a fan. <laughs> All right. I don't knock you for what, Milsey. Regardless of what that means about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready to move on to our final film? Oh, indeed. All right, from the following year, third year in a row, 1996, we have Striptease. Erin Grant is desperate, and desperate times call for desperate measures. Cream corn wrestling. No chance that I am going to roll around naked in creamed corn with a bunch of drunken yahoos trying to stick niblets up my hoo-ha. Erin has many interesting men in her life. Oh. An ex-husband. What I'm saying is that some orthodontist from Tampa. God, Daryl, what would Mama say? She'd say nice fucking car. Ow! A United States congressman. You must be... Convict Dildo. This nut is a congressman? Uh, A a congressman uh, Dildo. (laughs) Why are you all shiny? It's Vaseline. I can feel it squishing between my toes. An enterprising lawyer. You know, my neck really feels better, Uncle Al. Oh, yeah? How's it feel now? And a most unusual bouncer. You follow politics, Mr. Shack? Do I look like I follow politics? 
Castle Rock Entertainment presents a story about the bodies that move. You jump here in a second, that piece of shit. And the ones that don't. <laughs> Demi Moore. I'm Malcolm Moldowski, Congressman Dilbeck's right hand. You must be a very busy man. Strip tease. You're Mrs. Grant? No, I'm Barbara Bush. Who is he? George Bush. I want to say I like rented it from the library back when I was in high school or something. Yeah, you did. But I, I really can't remember. Like I remember images from the movie, but it just, it, it was very different on a rewatch Mm -hmm. or first time watch from my recollection of it. I feel like just, uh, for the time or it's just super popular, just a big, uh, like cultural, Kind of thing. I don't know if it was because yeah. Demi Moore was like just being Bruce Willis's wife, or I don't know how how much. I mean, she was like acting. I mean, this was even before GI Jane. I don't know if this was like a renaissance <laughs> time for her or what. But this was actually right before GI Jane because um, the the film's release was delayed a month to allow for reshooting uh, part of the ending which removed a scene where uh, the congressman character attempted to rape Demi Moore's character oh, at Jesus. knife point. And uh, Demi Moore had to wear a wig for those reshoots because she had already shaved her head for G.I. Jane. Oh, there you go. So. I mean, because, like, you got, like, Ghost was, like, a huge movie for her, and that was, like, Early 90s. It was before 91. this. Yeah. And then, um, was she a few few good men she was in, right? Yeah, that might have even been after this. I'm not 100% sure what year that came out. But yeah, I mean, it was around that time. She was like, she's not like the biggest name in the world or anything, but she was kind of a big actress at that time in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, and Decent Proposal, that was 93. I feel like that was a big one, too. A Few Good Men was 92. Okay. Decent Proposal, 93. Oh, Scarlet Letter, 95. Yeah, so she was the juror, 96. I mean, she was in a in a bunch of movies yeah i think the thing is like you know showgirls obviously being nc-17 and like having all that nudity and stuff in it it was already a pretty well talked about movie at the time if striptease had an actress of the kind of notoriety level and caliber of elizabeth berkeley i don't think this one would be nearly as talked about i think the thing with this one is you know it's got a fair amount of nudity in it, but not nearly as much as Showgirls. And the thing is, this was like a big name, popular actress of the moment. Yeah, Like totally. agreeing to do a movie with like a ton of nude scenes in the era before everybody had the internet. So it oh, was like... Without a doubt, this movie is what it is because she's the one that's in it. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Just like I'm sure Showgirls probably would have done even better if any of those other actresses I named like Pam Anderson or, uh, Oh yeah. Um, like Angelina Jolie or whoever had played the lead, you know, mm-hmm. it definitely would have made some more money at the box office than it did. Yeah. No, totally. But, uh, yeah, I mean, bu- a budget on this one, 40 million. So kind of right in line with the other two, but box office of 113.3. And I'm oh, sure wow. a lot of that was just, you know, for the mom and dad date night, we're going to go out and see, yeah. uh, Demi Moore's tits. I mean, this has got quite the cast, too. Got Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds. I mean, my Game friend and yours, Armand DeSante. <laughs> right. I mean, what's he need? One more movie, Millsy, to get up on the uh, repeat, <laughs> the repeat offenders, offenders list? list? Yeah. I mean, the only, <laughs> one, thing, one thing while watching this, I was like, man, I wish he was just like played it just like he did in Dread. 
<laughs> like if he was like, <laughs> like I just want Armand Azande to be that same character in every movie he's in. Yeah, it's a shame he wasn't the unhinged cop in Color of Night oh, that Ruben God. Blade played. Because oh. <laughs> he was fucking nuts in that movie. Yeah, good. Yeah, Ving Rhames in this as well. Mm-hmm. 90s, I mean, mid-90s Ving Rhames. I mean, no mm-hmm. one's better. Love that guy. Yeah, I mean, this is another like coming off of uh, Pulp Fiction by like two years, Ving Rhames. Mm-hmm. Playing a character that I feel like they cast him because of that kind of attitude he had oh yeah in pulp fiction as marcellus wallace a couple of that guy actors that uh lawyer yep he actually uh the lawyer actually joins the uh the repeat offenders list because of this movie oh because he was in um uh arachnophobia which we watched not too long ago yes and he was also in congo his name is stuart pankin that's him, Stu. <laughs> Stu Pankin. Yeah. What a name. It's funny because I do most of my research for these movies on Wikipedia that mm-hmm. like when I click on an actor's name and I scroll down to look at like what movies they've been in, if I've looked up a movie any any time recently, it's like a the the hyperlink is a different color, so I immediately know like, oh, this guy's been in like other things <laughs> we've watched. <laughs> That's good. Otherwise I probably never would have Realized that he was a repeat offender. Uh-huh. He's there. It's actually, I know, I actually could tell, but it's Demi Moore's actual daughter plays her daughter in the movie. Yep. Rumor Willis. Mm-hmm. Who was like six or seven at the time. Yeah. So pretty stacked cast in this one. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, premise here is that it the it's very brushed over in the beginning, but uh, Demi Moore's character was a secretary for the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she got fired because her husband, who is like a deadbeat played by Robert Patrick, had gotten in so much trouble with the law that the FBI was like, we don't want anything to do with you anymore, I guess. And then because she lost her job, uh, the courts give uh, Robert Patrick custody of their daughter. And, you know, he is like a complete deadbeat low life. Like for money, he uses the daughter to help him steal wheelchairs from a hospital <laughs> that he can mm-hmm. then resell. Right. So Demi Moore is just like desperate to get money to fight it. And I, this is the part they completely brush over. So this movie is based on a best-selling novel called Striptease by a guy named Carl Hyacin. Hi- Hi- I'm, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his last name, but um, apparently... In the book, there's a lot more about, like, how she ends up as a stripper. But in the movie, it's like we open on the court scene where she loses custody, and then it immediately cuts to, like, eight weeks later, and she's working Full at a strip club. stripper. Yeah, it's like... I was actually surprised by how quickly that happened. Yeah, like, if she was a secretary for the FBI, you're telling me there's not another job that she could get? Because she keeps talking about, like, you know, she has to be out of there before their next court date. Otherwise, you know, the courts will look down on the fact that that's what she's doing for a living. But, like, she couldn't find any other job. Like, I I mean, I guess she's making more there than she would be as, like, just a secretary at an office or something. But I guess. But, yeah, they don't they don't spend any time to give you any of that info. Yeah. It's Um, one of those things you just kind of have to accept to get the ball rolling, which I can do. But it is a little jarring. Right. Yeah, just especially because it happened so fast. It's just like. Yep. And then there's a lot of like weirdly convoluted plot about how 
There's like a corrupt congressman played by Burt Reynolds, who is just like a pussy hound. And mm-hmm. he assaults somebody in the strip club where she works and someone gets a photo of it and they have evidence. And then the person who has the evidence gets killed. And then she's the one who can like ID him. So she's working with a cop played by Armand Asante to like, you know, go do private dances for the congressman so they can try and get dirt on him. And it's it's pretty convoluted, I thought. It's extremely convoluted. Let's just I'll just come out and say these three movies are all batshit insane. (laughs) Yeah. For different reasons. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, Striptease is just the third, the third one in the line, because. It makes sense to me now that saying that you're saying that it's from a book because it just it's one of those like, you know, uh, however many page book condensed down to a two hour movie, mm-hmm. you know, and that, how successful or unsuccessful that kind of idea can be because there's just so much shit going on in this movie. Yep. I mean, that being said, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, I, th- I, find, I found the movie entertaining. It's it, this felt like, you know, kind of like I said in a different way, like a time capsule of the nineties. It just feels like a nineties movie to me, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the, the particular cast and just, I don't know. It's kind of like, I always like Ving Rhames. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Burt Reynolds is just like such an oddball in this too. Yeah. Apparently Burt Reynolds like sought out this role. Uh, the studio wanted Michael Caine, Gene Hackman or Donald Sutherland who all turned it down. But apparently Burt Reynolds was actively pursuing this role for some reason. Jeez, I can't see any of those other ones doing it either. Yeah, like I could see Michael Caine maybe doing it. Um, I mean, yeah, he, I, oof. I mean, you think of Michael Caine nowadays and everybody thinks of like Alfred from the Christopher Nolan totally. Batman movies and stuff. And he seems like very like, I'm a refined gentleman. But if you Posh. go back and look at the kind of movies he was making in his heyday, he was kind of like a trashy exploitation like low budget action actor back in the day mm, okay yeah i actually don't I, I don't know any of that michael like Kane. the the harry palmer movies and and stuff like the island or is it called the island i, I forget what it's called but like he did a lot of like you know just like kind of b movie budget yeah mm-hmm. but um burt reynolds he's so weird in this <laughs> He's very weird. It's funny. He's so different, too, than, like, because he's, like, quite good in Boogie Nights, which was, what, a year later? Yeah, um, something like that. But he's, yeah, he's, like, an odd, like, caricature in this one. And the thing is, I've heard, because Burt Reynolds died not too many years ago, and I've heard that apparently he, like, he did Boogie Nights, but then almost, like, wrote that movie off and, like, was kind of embarrassed that he did it and... But then he was in this movie and he actively sought out the role of like a, you know, sexed up congressman who's like covering himself in Vaseline. Yeah. What is it like? Maybe he didn't like the fact that he did this movie as well, but it was like a year before. And he from everything I read, like vied to get this role, despite the studio not necessarily thinking he'd be right for it, which is, is weird to me. But I mean, going right along with how weird he is, the biggest thing, like when I say that. You know, I'm not sure I've seen it before 100% because it it didn't feel like the movie I thought I had seen before. Like, the biggest thing for me is I wasn't expecting this to be a comedy. Hmm. Like, I thought this movie was going to take itself very seriously and be like, oh, Demi Moore agreed to do it because it's like, you know, almost like a feminist kind of thing where she's like, 
you know, stripping, but she's okay with it because, you know, she's owning her sexuality and like trying to take down the corrupt politician. But then the movie is so goofy. Like, yeah, it feels like it's a couple steps away from being there's something about Mary or something at times, like, especially <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the end. Uh, towards the end, I actually kind of had that exact feeling of something about Mary. Yeah. And if there's, and I love something about Mary, but like, mm-hmm. I guess my, my expectations going in, if there's anything that soured me on this movie, it was the tone. Like, you know, I like, uh, Robert or uh, Robert Patrick and how kind of goofy he is as like the deadbeat ex-husband mm-hmm. and, you know, Ving Rhames is fun with like how kind of silly he is at times, but he's also like sweet and like good to the women that he works with and everything. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, all the stuff with Burt Reynolds and then the ending just, you know, the way it, it's just like everybody shows up at the end and it's like the press is there and like, uh, <laughs> Robert Patrick has been hit on the head. So he's kind of woozy and he thinks he's getting himself a coffee out of a machine, but he's actually pressing a button to drop a giant mound of sugar on top of the bad guys who happen to be standing under a trap door. Like all that stuff was just so all accurate corny and it just i did not like the third act of this movie because of that like (laughs) it was just like a lot of weird convenient shit coming together and i don't know i i I think with this subject matter it could have been taken a little more seriously and been better for it i mean it would just been a completely different movie yeah i mean at least i would have i think liked it better that way yeah i mean i enjoyed it i mean i was i did not really know what to expect like movie wise either. Yeah. I don't like besides like remembering it being like a popular thing. I couldn't have told you if this was airplane or Aaron Brockovich level. Of, <laughs> yeah. See, know, that's like, the thing is like, that's exactly what I'm thinking actually is Aaron Brockovich is kind of where I expected this movie to be. I think pretty early they kind of establish it's not. So it didn't really, it wasn't like super jarring to me. I mean, it's, it does have humor throughout, but by you get by the time you get to the scene where the aide, like the congressman's aide, walks in on him, and it's Burt Reynolds standing there, like almost naked, covered in Vaseline. I was like, "What <laughs> yeah. the fuck yeah. is this movie? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, where has this gone?" Yeah, it just gets like I don't know, like like having making light of like some of the you know the strip club stuff, and like oh. This one girl does a snake act and her snake died. So the, you know, the shitty business owner sends out Ving Rhames to get a replacement snake. And then, you know, it's not her <laughs> snake. So it's like choking Rip her out on stage. Like, yeah, it's it's goofy, but it's like, it's kind of funny, but it's not like, that's like a side thing where it's not like affecting the main plot. But when the main right. plot becomes so screwball towards the end, I don't know, it just, it, it stopped working for me oh, eventually. Yeah. I was still on board. I mean, it's 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 just bonkers. Like I said, these movies are all fucking crazy for different reasons. <laughs> I true. did watch. Uh, I watched Showgirls first, and then this in the same night. So <laughs> I think it, like it kind of even felt like a little breath of fresh air for me watching <laughs> this one. Yeah, it was just like it wasn't so serious and dour. And I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know. I hope this one doesn't have any like strip club rape scenes or you know, <laughs> well, you know it's like. I'm kind of wondering, so I did read that after the failure of Showgirls the previous year, the advertising for this movie emphasized the humor to set it apart from that one. And as I mentioned, they went back and they changed the ending to get rid of like a knife point rape, which sounds more serious and dramatic. 
and changed the ending to what it is. So I'm kind of wondering if they didn't make a turn for more comedic and less dark after Showgirls flopped. I mean, certainly. If you were going to tell me that's definitely what happened, I would believe it. Yeah. Uh, Would you believe it? This was uh, considered one of the worst movies ever made and won the Golden Raspberry for worst film of 1996. That's the real theme of this episode, which I did not realize (laughs) until I was doing the research. Like, what are the fucking chances of that? Oh, man. (laughs) I had no idea. Different points on the Venn diagram there tonight, Mills. Yeah. Just, again, like, this was just like low-hanging fruit for the Golden Raspberries. Hate is gonna hate. Low-hanging Golden Raspberries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I feel like that's the golden raspberries in general is low hanging yeah, fruit. Totally. That's their totally. That's their bread and butter, and their golden raspberry I mean, jam. People that work, they must hate themselves. <laughs> like, no, I, I think doing? they love themselves a little too much. That's part of the problem. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, so Demi Moore uh, was paid twelve point five million to star in this, making her the highest paid actress of all time up to that point in nineteen ninety six. Yep. Yeah. I yeah I saw the list of people that they wanted to cast for the congressman, but I didn't see any other names come up for uh, who they might have gone after for this movie. I'm I, I don't know if Demi Moore was the first choice or not, but uh, it's just that case of I think she, you know, she was in good shape. She was proud of her body. She was willing to do it. Yeah, it almost feels like like does this movie even get made if it's not her? I doubt like, who it. Else? Yeah, yeah, I mean she was just like super popular at the time and just. Yeah, and yeah. Where it concerns her daughter being in it, like and actually seeing her dancing nude in the film, Demi Moore said in an interview, <laughs> "We don't shame the body; we encourage the body as something beautiful and natural." And my children bathe with me, and I walk around naked. Okay. So, I mean, I I can kind of appreciate what she's saying, and I mean, her daughter mm-hmm. at the time was like six, but <laughs> the whole like walking around now as naked thing is a little weird. <laughs> Teach their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one one movie out of the three that was uh financially successful. Yeah, what'd you say it was again? Forty and forty and one thirteen. Yeah. That works. So anything else to say about striptease before we no, wrap I this bad like boy up? Yeah. Let's get into some posties. All right. Uh I can say that as with me like not really knowing what color of night was before I blind bought it. I've mm-hmm. never seen this poster before, and I think that the box art from Kino Lorber is way more interesting. It's uh, a shot from the end of the movie uh, where Bruce and, um, is it Jane March? They were, like, mm-hmm. on top of the tower, like, it's raining, and he's, like, clutching her with the red light washed over them. Mm-hmm. I think it's way more interesting. This uh, image is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but this is what you kind of expect from a, because this is the most erotic thriller type of movie of Mm -hmm. all the three that we're talking about this is kind of what i think you expect it's just like sweaty seductive the two people obviously like the two main actors in the movie obviously like engaged in some kind of activity just below the frame of the poster (laughs) yeah but it's just like the image is so blown out and horrible too yeah it's just like kind of uninteresting brown on a black like with everything in shadow it's like terribly grainy. Yeah. In the yeah. heat of desire, love can turn to deception. Nothing is what it seems when day turns into night. That is a terrible and unnecessary yeah. Just paragraph. Like, right, a whole paragraph, yeah. 
terrible. Just yeah, just don't. The one thing I kind of like here is the title logo. <laughs> I don't know why it's kind of appealing. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Just I mean, the font and like the offset, mm-hmm. like smaller first two words, and it does uh, stand out well. But yeah, that just the kind of like muddy skin tone color, and then just white. It's just yeah. Even oh, you know, it's just... called Color of Night, and the whole movie has like a red thing. Even if they were like tinted red or something, would be interesting. Yeah. Even the I'm looking at the Kino Lorba one. That's it's just I mean, a more it's just like a shot. Image. For, it's just a screen grab, but so much better. Yeah, it's like bright pinkish red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Showgirls. I mean, this I is th- kind of iconic at this point. I think this is kind of a fantastic poster. Really. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think to write this down, but I read in multiple places that uh, this image is like directly based on and referencing some actual like photographer, like a piece from a photographer from like his book or something that mm. the the production saw and they like, I don't know if they bought the rights to it or something like that, but it, this isn't the original piece, but they were like, we want to do that as mm. our poster. I think this has a great logo, great colors. I mean, it's super graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think uh, this is an excellent poster. I would say that I think the, uh, the box art that I have on my like generic Blu-ray copy, it's like, instead of it being like very light peach, slash white on black it's like mm. kind of a gold background and it's like glittery looking because it's like you know las vegas yeah and i do like the stark contrast here but i almost feel like even the the title could have been more glitzy looking like the font i don't mind but if it was like brighter or something instead of just mm-hmm. being the same color as the skin tone almost yeah I know, because her hair is like a different color. It could have brought some of that even even there. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at this, and this looks to me more like something like Basic Instinct. Like, the poster kind of has this insidious vibe to me. And, I mean, everyone is a piece of shit, and there is bad stuff in the movie. But the movie in general, I think of, and I think of, like, bright colors and, like, you know. Yeah. Extravagance. Yeah, that's a good point. But still, in general, uh, fantastic uh, design. It's very graphic. I mean, you you know that from... A hundred feet away that that's a showgirl's poster. Yeah. Leave your inhibitions at the door. The show is about to begin. Uh, completely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Kind of feel, I mean, I know why it's it's one long tagline, but kind of feels like two. Yeah. Even just the show is about to begin, completely unnecessary, but I would rather have just that than the other part. Yeah. Same. And then uh, striptease. Just, uh... I mean, all they're doing is selling, hey, this uh, famous person is naked in this movie. Pretty much. It's just not, doesn't have any kind of fire to it, nothing. It's kind of, it feels more like a magazine cover or something that could be for anything. Yeah, it's like the background is completely bland and boring. Logo's mm. okay. I like the, you know, the silhouette and the A. Yeah, I kind of like that too, but it doesn't fit this poster. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember reading that... Uh, the studio or somebody was concerned about how much of Demi Moore's actual skin we see in this, on this poster. And then like the director or someone said, uh, you see more skin than that in like a a perfume ad in a magazine or something like that. And so they Mm -hmm. left it, but I do feel like, okay, yes, this is a famous actress sitting there nude and you just covering the bits that they can't show. But would it have not been more interesting to show her, like, on the stage in one of her skimpy outfits, like, posing or, like, dancing than just her sitting here staring at you? 
Yeah. There's even like, I think it's early in the movie where she's like wearing like the full suit with the hat and all that. Oh, yeah. Like something like that would have been so much better. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're totally right. Like this is just, it's Demi, Demi Moore. She's naked. Yeah. Some people get into trouble no matter what they wear. Not great. Not terrible. Yeah. Unnecessary either way. Pretty much. I mean, if you're going to do this and just be like, okay, we're focusing on how naked she is, just put her center and leave off as much text <laughs> right. as possible. The yeah. title strip tease and a naked recognizable person. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. But no, sometimes they do these to death, Millsy. Break it down for the people, will you? Uh, we ready. <laughs> Showgirls gets uh, gets the win here for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to get um, four... Kyle McLaughlin stunt butts because that was definitely a body double for him. Okay, when he like walks it. to the pool. <laughs> In the moment, I did think stunt to myself, like, God damn, Kyle McLaughlin's like in better shape than I thought. But I did read after the fact that he used a stunt oh, double. I love it, stunt butts. <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, striptease. I'm gonna give two bottles mm. of Vaseline. Nice. I would do the same. Uh, you know, okay, I get it. Like we've said 10 times already, like naked famous person, but the, the I hate that boring brown background. Yeah, totally. Get rid of the log- the, the tagline, put her central. It it could have been way better. Mm-hmm. And then I'm with you. Color of night uh it's it, it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen. It's what I kind of expect from a movie like this. It could have been more appealing like color wise or whatever but it's also going to get two and in this case it's going to get uh two multiple personalities i guess you you still got it kid you still got it (laughs) can you tell i don't think about these things before i have to say them (laughs) well no because you're so good at it (laughs) you're just throwing heaters out at what these uh ratings (laughs) i dig it oh well thank you all right, uh, bye, Barbara Burn. Bye, Barbara Burn. Uh, I know where I stand. How about you? I do indeed. Shall I go first, or shall you? Please go for it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by uh, Showgirls. I think uh, I still think it's a good movie, regardless of its flaws. Um, I think it's a very well made movie. I find it to be an enjoyable movie to watch. It's got that Paul Verhoeven panache. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it deserves a little better than it gets. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to die on that hill. But uh, of these three movies, this is definitely the keeper for me. And then when it comes down to the other two, I think both of them suffer in the third act. I think I don't know why I was I was just turned off by the goofy nature of striptease. And I kind of wanted it to be more of a like a thriller, like a serious thriller. And yeah, it just I don't know. The the further into that movie I got, the less I felt that I cared about it because it's like it wasn't taking itself super seriously. And I don't know. I just wasn't feeling that one. So that's going to be my burn. And uh, Color of Night then is going to find that middle spot for my borrow. Uh, I do feel like the third act could have been much improved, but I think I liked the mystery and the drama of the first two acts more than I liked the first two acts of striptease. So mm-hmm. uh, that, gets, that gets the borrow. Fair and balanced. For me, um, the offbeat, goofy nature of striptease actually makes that my buying. <laughs> 
Um, I just found myself enjoying that. It was, it, it, I didn't know what to expect, but it kept it, uh, it was like lighthearted enough and kind of goofy. And I liked the cast and just, like I said, it was, uh, my kind of nineties time capsule. Mm -hmm. Striptease. Bye. Um, Coming out of Showgirls and Color of Night, I have plenty of issues with both. And I honestly think, like, Elizabeth Berkeley sucks all the life out of Showgirls for me. <laughs> so that, that is going to be my burn. And Color of Night um, just kind of completely blows that landing. But, man, for two acts, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And, again, another solid cast. So that's going to be my borrow. It does. It does feel bad to say if Paul Verhoeven's getting the burn, but man, Millsy, she just ruined it for me. And <laughs> yeah. Every she's in every scene and every time. Just, yeah, I just I couldn't couldn't get past it. I I don't have that uh, that reaction to her, so it doesn't nope. uh, doesn't hurt it that much for me. But fair hey, enough. That's how we do this thing. Mainstream smut. <laughs> All right, uh, All right, champ. You ready? Yeah. What are we going to be watching next episode? Uh, we have two hundred and thirty-seven themes available. Here we go. Two thirty-seven. Ooh, Millsy, 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 Millsy. Be more smart. You're either going to love this or hate this. Oh boy, what is it? One. One? <laughs> You're kidding! <laughs> Random number generator came up with one. <laughs> And I always talk about how it always picks early ones, but you can't get earlier than that. That's incredible. This is amazing. All right. (laughs) I don't even know what one is. What do we got? Uh, Number one is It Came From The 90s. Oh. If I'm not mistaken, this is the second theme we ever thought of for the show. Mm. Because uh, the very first theme we thought of is we didn't random number generate to choose our first episode mm-hmm. ever. It was uh, Beware the Deep, which was the first theme we ever came up with. Right. I'm pretty sure this is the second theme we ever yeah, ever thought of. We haven't had another. We haven't picked one. No, I'm pretty sure that number one. two is the third one we ever thought of. And then I want to say Do the Herky Jerky, which we've already done, was number four, maybe. Mm. Or at the time would have been number three. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, Herky Jerky was three. Yeah, so when you consider that we took uh, Beware the Deep off the table as number one, that was our mm-hmm. Do the Herky Jerky was our fourth ever theme we came up with. Oh, so. boy. Yeah, this is our – we probably came up with this theme the first night. We were like, hey, we should do a podcast where we do yeah. this. Yeah, and it will all make sense. Next episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of these I have not seen. Oh, really? Is it the third one? Mm-hmm. Oh, you poor man. We're going to fix that right up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually excited. This is another it. one of these movies where I feel like I am the one supporter of it, but I'll be very curious to see where you fall. Yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah, to I, watch I'm, these. I'm looking forward to this. Nice. Uh, it came from the 90s. That is our Get next ready, theme. party people. Yeah, please uh, do your worst. See uh, if you can figure out what the hell that means. Oh, I love it. Well, until then, Mills. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.